turn to the person next to you and say, whoa, whoa, man, I just love, I, I don't know if you guys sensed it, but, and I'm not being mystical or weird, I'm just saying God's presence is in this room in a powerful way, because he loves you, he loves you. He wants to be in community with you. He wants to be in fellowship with you. He doesn't want you just to know about him, have information about him. He wants you to know him, to know his presence. Not only to know his presence, but even a step further, to prioritize your, his presence. I, would, I just want to challenge you. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've been a good Christian. Maybe you've been a great churchgoer. All of that. Here's a challenge. Would you prioritize the presence of God this year? Say, God, your presence, I want your presence to mean more to me than anything else in this world. Through reading the word, through times of prayer. And listen, they don't have to be super religious. When we say pray, we don't mean that you have to pray the way that your grandma did or in the fashion she did. You, I, I think there's, there's a great movement of prayer in this generation that's aggressive and that's a warrior-like. In small groups, if you're not a part of a small group, listen, you, you, we fight better when we're together. It's just a fact. I'd rather, I'd rather go on a journey, I'd rather go on a hike with other people than just by myself. I mean, there's times and places where you just need to be alone. I get that. But you need the community and fellowship of other people. And if you're not in a small group, we have brand new groups that are even starting this week. If you go to the Church Center app or you go to our website and look at the groups, you can see the listing. And we've got some new groups that are even going to be listed uh, that aren't there that are going to be listed in the next uh, few weeks. So make sure you're checking that out as well. Well, we started a series last week about forgiveness, and can I tell you, uh, it struck a nerve. I've heard from you. I've heard uh, emails. I've had messages. I've had people who have come in person and talked to me. Listen, forgiveness is difficult, isn't it? There's just no way around it. It is such a hard thing. I mean, when there's little petty things that, that aren't that big of a deal, yeah, okay, I can forgive you, and I can go on, but some of you have gone through some deep, deep hurts where people have hurt you in, in, in just horrific ways and I wish I could say well because of your hurt because of what happened to you you get a free pass but as a follower of Jesus I have to take my cues from the word of God and Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 6 in the context of this maybe you're not a church goer maybe you don't know much about the Bible but probably at some point you've heard the Lord's prayer right our father who art in heaven Jesus, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, and then he gives this last statement, um, uh, 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 lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. The very next thing that Jesus says, there's not a pause, I'm not skipping any verses. I mean, maybe Jesus paused before he said it, but the very next thing in Matthew chapter 6, right after lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, is this passage from Matthew 6. And I'll be honest, I wish this wasn't in the Bible. This is a hard statement that we're going to read. But Jesus said this, Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Isn't that awesome? That we can experience the forgiveness of God, that God, the creator of the universe, would look down and even though we've rebelled against him, even though we've gone in our own ways, that he would choose to forgive us. That's incredible. But the condition is, the premise is, that we've got to have a heart of grace and mercy toward other people, just as God has demonstrated mercy toward us. In fact, it gets even, it gets even harsher in the rest of the verse. He says in verse 15, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Everybody say, ouch. Yeah. Like I said, it's a verse I wish it wasn't in there. I wish Jesus never said it. But Jesus said these words, not me. 
And listen, Jesus said these words not because he's mean, not because he hates you, not because he's trying to make your life more difficult than it already is. Jesus says these words, listen, he says these words because he loves you. Because God loves you, because God wants you to have blessing, he wants you to flourish, he wants you to experience fruitfulness and fulfillment, God says, listen, here's the deal, you've got to let go. I love you, and because I love you, you've got to learn to forgive others. So we talked last week about the why, and we looked at Matthew chapter 18 and a story that Jesus told, and I think we all left here going, okay, we get that the Bible says that this is important, we get the why behind it, but here's the real issue, how? Like, how do I forgive these people who have hurt me? And I think we're going to get into the how in just a moment, but before we go there, I want to I wanna first start with the misperceptions that keep us from forgiving. In fact, in 20-some years of ministry, I found that it's these misperceptions, these really half-truths or total lies that totally hinder us and prevent us from forgiving. And so we're just going to go through these real quick. Number one, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forget, listen, this is one of the things you need to know about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. So many people are waiting to forgive until they feel like it. You come to church and maybe the worship leader will hit the right, you know, the key and, and there'll be a stirring inside of me and now I will finally have this desire that I've never had to forgive. And listen, forgiveness is not a feeling. For many of you, you will never feel like forgiving. And that's okay. That's okay because forgiveness is not a feeling. Number two, forgiveness is not pretending that you weren't hurt. I think we think that if I'm forgiving this other person, then I'm just going to take the whole situation and sweep it under the carpet, and I've got to somehow pretend and live in this place of make-believe where what they did really didn't hurt me. And that's not, forgiveness is not pretending that you weren't hurt. Number three, forgiveness is not saying that the other person wasn't wrong. Listen, you can forgive somebody... And still hold in tandem that what they did was extremely wrong. In fact, in fact, often forgiveness and justice can both rest in the same hand. This, when forgiving someone, I'm not letting go of justice. What I'm doing, though, is I'm not letting forgiveness and vengeance rest in the same hand. We're not called to vengeance. Vengeance is when somebody hurts me and I just go all the harsher after them, right? Justice is... I call the, cor the correct authorities, I, 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 I sit down with a prosecutor, I let them do their thing. There is justice is needed in some situations. In fact, can I go a step further? Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to pursue justice. Some of you have experienced sexual abuse. Can I tell you, we're not asking, forgiveness is not pretending that the other person wasn't wrong. They were absolutely wrong. And you can pursue justice and you should pursue justice because it's the loving thing to do to make sure that somebody else doesn't get hurt in the same way that you've been hurt. You can pursue justice, you should pursue justice, but at the same time, you can forgive. You can forgive. When something wrong has been done, justice is it's a, it's adequate, it's accurate. We're not, forgiveness is not pretending that what they did wasn't wrong. Number four, forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Now, I'm not asking you to weaponize this. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. Sometimes we want to do that, right? Now, I'm just saying that, that I, can, I can trust you. I, trust comes 
over time. I, I heard this week of a, of a lady in her early 30s, and her uh, father's in his late 50s, early 60s, and, and she was saying that her father has been uh, verbally abusive to her most of her life, and just would constantly just belittling her, telling her she's not good enough, just all these things. And, and so now as an adult, she's really struggled with her relationship with her dad and, and how to approach him. And so she was in this place where she felt like God told her that, and, and I'm not saying this is what everybody needs to do, but for her, she felt like she needed to honor her father by allowing him a, 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 a foot in the door of her life. And so what she chose to do is she, she called him up and she said, Dad, here, actually she met with him in person to begin with, and she said, Dad, here's what I would like to do. I would like to call you every Thursday at 7 p.m., and I would like to have a conversation with you on the phone. But here are the boundaries. As soon as you begin to attack me or my husband or my kids, I just want you to know that I'm going to hang up on you. And it's not because I'm angry, and it's not because I don't forgive you, but it's because I'm not going to allow you to do this in my life any longer. I'll still call you the next Thursday at 7 p.m., but you just need to know, as soon as you go down that road, I'm just going to politely hang up on you. So he knew the ground rules. He knew the parameters. First Thursday, she calls him up, and within minutes, he starts talking about her husband, and she just says, listen, Dad. I'm going to hang up right now. She didn't wait to hear his excuse. She, didn't. she just said, listen, Dad, I'm going to hang up right now, and she hung up on him calls him, he tried to call back, she didn't answer the phone call, she calls him back the next Thursday at 7 p.m., and she said, I, I just want to reiterate our, okay, I understand the boundaries, I mean, within, again, within minutes, he starts in on it, she just says, Dad, I'm going to hang up on you, hangs up, she calls him back the next Thursday, the next Thursday at 7 p.m., she said within four, maybe five conversations, he was finally getting that she had built some boundaries around her life. She was forgiving him. She, didn't, she, she was letting him go, but she was not allowing him to continue to speak this negativity into her life. Listen, you can do that. Did you know, you, you know with forgiveness, you can do that? Forgiveness, number five, forgiveness is not relieving people of their responsibility. So we think, if I forgive this person, they really hurt me, and if I forgive them, then they're going to get to walk away scot-free. They're, they're never going to have to face up to what they did. They're not going to have to answer for the wrong actions. And what we realize here is that I'm not relieving that person of their responsibilities. I'm gonna, I'm, I can seek justice, but ultimately I understand God is just. And God is fully capable of making all things right. I, I, you know, I was, thinking, I was thinking about this and just putting some handles around this. And so I have up here this, this eagle. This is a very treasured uh, item of mine. I actually got this uh, in my first overseas trip in Mexico. And uh, I remember bartering for it. It's got an emotional connection. I've had this. I've had this with me. It's traveled with me all over the place to Florida and then to Pittsburgh and then back here. And this is a treasured item for me. Lots of emotional connection to this. Let's say that while I'm preaching, Pastor Aaron was to come up and swipe my eagle statue from me. And he probably would, wouldn't he? I've got, I've got several ways that I can react to that, right? I mean, several ways that I can react. One of the ways that I can react is I could just begin to slander Aaron just everywhere I go. Pastor Aaron, don't let him around your statue animals. He will take them, right? I have the option, so, so slander is an option. I have an option of vengeance. While he's gone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break into his house, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a baseball bat to every animal statue that he has in his house. I'm just going to crush them all. Payback, right? That's called vengeance, right? 
I, I can, I, there's another way is I can, just, I can just begin to just let anger and ill will and evil thoughts just fester in my mind toward Pastor Aaron. I can get a little Pastor Aaron voodoo doll and get some pins with eagles on the ends and poke them in the eye. Some of you are like, voodoo, aren't you Christian? Okay, don't send me the emails. I can, I can, I can let it fester, right? Or I can choose to say, you don't owe me. I can seek justice. I can seek justice. Listen, you're going to have to give me the eagle back. And if you damaged it, there's going to, I can seek justice. But I can also at the same time say, I, I'm releasing you to the authorities. I'm going to let them do their job. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to slander you. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm going to put the voodoo doll back into the place where it belongs. Right? This is what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. And I think because of the misperceptions, so many of us don't cross the line of forgiveness like God desires. So what is forgiveness? Let's, let's run through these real quick. Number one, forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. And so when we say, I can't forgive, that's not accurate. It's not that you can't forgive. The issue is that you have chosen not to forgive. And just as you can choose not to forgive, you can choose to forgive. Remember, our first misperception is that forgiveness is not a feeling. Like, like, even if I don't feel like it, I can make the choice and say, I'm making the choice to forgive. I love what Philip Yancey says about this. He says, at last I understood in the final analysis that forgiveness is an act of faith. I love that. It's an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and to leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Forgiveness is a decision. Number two, forgiveness is a matter of obedience. So can I just talk right now to all the followers of Jesus in this room? And maybe you're not. Maybe you're here, you're just kicking the tires, trying to figure out what you believe about God or Jesus or the Bible. And we are so glad you're here. And listen, for the next moment or two, you're off the hook. You can just sit back and relax. But for every follower of Jesus in this room, can I just remind you, forgiveness is an act of obedience. I don't feel like doing this. But I'm going to because I'm a follower and my master has told me that this is what I must do. And so I don't like it. I don't feel like it. I don't understand it completely. But as an act of obedience, as a matter of obedience, I will forgive. Number three, forgiveness is rejecting my right for repayment. Forgiveness is rejecting my right for repayment. Now listen, here's the, here's the thing. I wish I could tell you that, that, that there's no pain in forgiving. But there's always pain in forgiving because I let go. I say, you don't owe me. And by saying you don't owe me, there's pain in that, right? Like even if I seek justice and even if justice is meted out, there's still the pain of, man, I, I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. There's always suffering involved in forgiving another person. But here's the thing. You don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to suffer alone. In fact, Paul made a statement once, and he said, I want to know. He was, he was, he was calling out to God. This was a prayer of surrender. And he said, God, I want to know you. 
I want to know you. And he realized that part of knowing God is knowing his suffering and sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. And so when I obey God, do what he tells me to do, tell somebody you don't owe me anymore and I forgive them, there is a suffering involved. But can I tell you, in that suffering you are sharing in the fellowship of suffering with Christ. And Christ walks with you through it. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 says, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Listen, I wish I could tell you that following Jesus is all cupcakes and unicorns, and as soon as you choose to follow Christ or you get baptized, life is going to be hunky-dory, and you're never going to have issues, and nobody's ever going to hurt you. Sorry, it's not true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We have a decision to make. If we obey Christ, we will suffer, but we will suffer with him. And there's great fruit that comes from that. God is able to be glorified even in that suffering. Number four, forgiveness is relying on God to make things right. Forgiveness is relying on God to make things right. There's this passage that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12, and it's so powerful. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. This is so hard because we live in a time where everybody is just so divided and nasty and angry and divisive. And listen, there are some things that we must stand up for truth, right? There's, there's non-negotiable lines that we say, listen, this is non-negotiable. But there are so many areas of division where we could just say, you know what, that, that's really just my opinion, that's really just a tradition. That's really just a family way of doing things. It's not non-negotiable. It's not in the word of God. And so I'm going to make every effort to live at peace in this moment. When I talk to, I, when I talk to people who have gone through broken relationships, I always sit down and I say, have you done everything you can to mend this relationship? And the reason why is because I've seen it over and over. I've seen it so many times where people will say, you know what, I was just so angry in that moment and I allowed that relationship to be ruptured and now we're past the point of no return and I wish that I would have done more. I wish I would have tried harder. I don't want you to have regrets. And Paul, speaking through the empowerment of the Spirit, doesn't want you to have regrets. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. He goes on, verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. What does he say? Never take revenge. Would you say that with me? Never take revenge. Listen, it is not our job to, to make justice happen. This isn't the wild, wild west. Never take revenge. I will pay, uh, we, he says, um, Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. I, I was thinking about this this week. I've been, you know, working on this for several weeks. And yesterday, I came across this quote by um, uh, Miroslav uh, Wolf. And we don't have this on the screen, but this just, oh, this just, I couldn't, I couldn't let this go. He says, the practice of nonviolence 
requires a belief in divine vengeance. Let me, let me say that again because that probably went over a lot of our heads. The practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. Here, here's my fear. My fear is especially in the Western church. By that I mean the American church. We are so afraid of talking about divine vengeance. There are hundreds, thousands of American churches that you can walk into and hear pastors say, you know, there's no such thing as an actual hell. Because we're just going to focus on the love of God. We're just going to focus on the mercy of God and the grace of God. And listen, I believe in the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. But I also believe in the holiness of God and I believe in the justice of God. And when we say, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about the divine vengeance of God, you know, that's a Western issue. If you live in a nation where you have been oppressed, where you have experienced injustice, do you think they want to believe in the divine vengeance of God? Actually, it's one of their favorite characteristics of God, and I'm not being snarky. If you've lived under the thumb of rulership of other people enslaving you, don't you think you want to believe in the divine vengeance of God? The American slaves had so many spirituals, and you know what? Many of them focused on the divine vengeance of God. One day, all of this will be made right. God will fix this. I think one of the reasons why increasingly, and studies show this, one of the, pro- one of the reasons why increasingly we, especially as Americans, struggle with the issue of forgiveness is because we've stopped believing in divine vengeance. And if I don't believe in divine vengeance, then it means I've got to take care of the situation myself. Does that make sense? Sometimes we just need to let God be God. Stop putting ourselves in his seat and let him do his job and trust that he will make all things right. Number five, forgiveness is a journey. Forgiveness is a journey. I wish I could tell you that you could just, you know, in a moment of great spiritual euphoria with tears flowing down your eyes, you could say, I forgive, and it would be finished. You would forget. You'd never think about the situation again. You know in scripture when it talks about forgiving and forgetting, the only individual in scripture who is capable of forgiving and forgetting is God. There's never a passage of scripture that that commands us to forget something that we're forgiving. It's always regarding God who forgets. And I'm so grateful for that. But God understands us. He understands our nature. He doesn't call, and that's why forgiveness is a journey, because I can forgive in a moment and say, you don't owe me, and I'm letting go, and I'm going to allow others to take care of the issue of, of justice. I'm not going to take on vengeance, but you know what? This afternoon, it's going to come to my mind again, and I've got to make the decision again. As I was thinking about this issue of forgiveness, I reached out to a few friends who go to Journey, and I said, hey, would you be willing to share maybe your story of forgiveness and so one, one individual is willing to, Alice Root was willing to share her story, and we're, it's just about three minutes. We're going to watch this, and then I'll close with a final thought. I have been a believer since I was six years old. Fair to say, there are about five years in my 20s that you sure couldn't tell. But I've been a believer. And I knew that whole time about the importance of forgiveness. But... I figured I didn't have to play if I had been significantly hurt. God wouldn't expect me to forgive, right? And I had heard somewhere along the line that not forgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But but I still had the hurt. I had a real significant hurt from a church 
I found out my husband was living a double life and lying to me. I mean, you do that when you have a double life. And I didn't find that out till we'd already been married 25 years. But the forgiveness thing. <clears throat> Finally, this is what has set me free. One is being specific about the things I'm forgiving. Not just a blanket, I forgive Jim for living a double life. No, I forgive Jim for specific thing and specific thing. And then this is the part that really set me free. Imagine a triangle with God at the top of the triangle and you at one corner and the brat at the other corner. I have to work all three legs of this triangle. I forgive that brat for, and then I'm specific. God, forgive me for judging that brat. Because here's the thing. Judgment is God's, not ours. So we have to ask God to forgive us for having judged. And then, God, forgive that brat for doing that specific thing. Now, I find that one leg or the other of that triangle is going to be rough. But when I have decided to forgive, ask forgiveness for having judged, and asking God to forgive them, the pain of unforgiveness is gone. And, and there have been times that it has been so hard, I need to go over that triangle more than one time, but it sets me free. I love what scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then here's the line. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Can I tell you, it's, it's a whole lot easier. It doesn't, it doesn't make it like simple, but it's easier to forgive someone when they come running to you and they fall at their feet and they start sucking carpet and there's tears. And I, especially if there's snot coming out of their nose with it, that makes it even more effective. And if they begin to just, I'm so sorry, I was wrong, I was absolutely wrong, I should have never. And when... when when that happens, man, don't you find it's at least a little bit easier to forgive? Unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often, does it? A lot of you in this room are dealing with forgiving somebody who actually can't do that because they're, they're dead. They'll never be able to ask for forgiveness. How do we forgive those who, who aren't asking for forgiveness? I think the key is in this line, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's how you're able to forgive. I'm reminded of the, the scene of Jesus' crucifixion. And as he's hanging on this beam of wood, naked, shamed for all the world to see, there weren't very many sorrowful people around him. There weren't very many people who were saying, oh, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have done that. In fact, Scripture says in Mark 15, verse 13, they shouted back, crucify him. They're screaming at the top of their lungs like bloodthirsty individuals, crucify him. A couple verses later in verse 29, it says, and the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, can you? 
Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. They're like literally like mocking him, making fun of him. As he is suffocating to death, they're making fun of him. Why can't you save yourself? You saved so many other people. Come on, I thought you were the son of God. Where's all of your power now? So what is Jesus' response in all of this? Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they are doing. If you, if you look at the Greek structure of this, and I'm not going to get nerdy and we don't have time to go into this, but basically the Greek structure, there's many scholars that believe the way this is structured is that Jesus didn't just say this once. It wasn't just something, he's the Messiah and he's got to check all the boxes before he dies, so one of the things I got to say is, Father, forgive them. Okay, check, I got that done. The Greek structure is such that most likely repeatedly Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. As he's gasping for breath, literally minutes from dying, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So then Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Even when that knucklehead doesn't come running to you and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? Even when they're slandering you and still abusing you, that you can find it to say, God, would you forgive them? Often the start of forgiveness, you notice he doesn't say, I forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them. Maybe if you can't do anything else, the start of your journey is just saying, God, I... I'm really struggling with this. This is so hard. Would you forgive them? Would you forgive them? Can I tell you, that it really is a journey. And depending on your hurt, you're really, you're really going to need the empowerment of God, right? I mean, just trying to do this on your own. But can I take it a step further and even encourage you to find somebody who is at least a step or two ahead of you spiritually and invite them into the situation, not to slander them. This isn't an opportunity for gossip. Hey, would you come and pray with me for forgiveness because this guy is such a knucklehead. He keeps stealing my stone eagles. Really is a horrible, horrible human being. Really can't stand him at all. Would you, would you help pray for No, this isn't an opportunity for gossip or slandering. It's just saying, hey, I'm in a place where I'm really, I'm really struggling and I need, would you pray with me through this? Because I want to obey my master. I don't feel like it, but I know I need to make this choice. Would you, would you walk with me through this? Can I tell you, it's so much easier when you're not doing it all by yourself. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to ask you a few questions before we close. And this is, this is honestly... You know, other than the baptisms, this is the most important part of everything we're doing. So I'm going to ask you just to be as still as you possibly can for the next few moments. First of all, would you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And this is so we don't embarrass anyone. We're not going to call anyone forward. We're not going to point you out. But if you're here and you've never received the grace of Jesus, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you've read parts of the Bible, but you've never come to a place of humbling yourself and saying, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. Empower me to live for you. I want to give you my life. I want to serve you. If that's you, or maybe, maybe you prayed that prayer a while back and as you're just honest with God, 
you have not been living for him and you just want to reaffirm that decision that you've made in the past. If that's you, we're not going to embarrass you, but I just want to be able to pray for you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? If you're watching online, would you just let us know somehow that, yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. Looking around this way. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Anybody else over in this section? Over here. Yeah, I see you. Anybody over here in this far end, my right? number of hands that have gone up. You can lower your hand after you've raised it. If you raise your hand, I just want to challenge you right now just to pray your own prayer under your breath. Just, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, crucified and risen from the dead. Forgive me. Empower me to live for you. Empower me for the journey of forgiving others. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask just one more question. How many of you are here and you say, Ken, I need God's help with forgiving somebody. I need help in letting them go. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, all over the room. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's hands all over the place. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus for every person who is struggling with forgiveness. God, we just come before you honestly and say it's hard, and we know we're supposed to. We know what your word says. Would you, would you help us? We wouldn't wait until we feel like it. We would be obedient, but would you help us to let go? We can still seek justice, but to stop seeking vengeance to let go, to say, you don't owe me anymore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.